There are different types of creativity. Analytical power is creativity. Artisanal power is creativity. To be able to comprehend a complex problem and give a one simple answer in return is creativity. This is Pinar Demerdog, and she knows a thing or two about creativity. She and Viola Renate are a digital artist duo known as Pinar and Viola. The two often use technology in their artwork and fashion design. In fact, Pinar sees it as a way to push artistic possibilities. And technology, artificial intelligence, it can analyze data and create solution in a speed our linear human minds cannot comprehend. Pinar says there's a clear role for machine learning in the creative process. I see it as the ultimate assistant. Welcome to the Think with Google podcast. I'm Tess Vigland with Gimlet Creative. And in this show, we're bringing you inside knowledge to power your marketing. So far in this series, we've explored diversity-focused data, personal video trends, and why you should never underestimate the power of surprise. Today, we'll talk with people at the cutting edge of machine learning technology, and we'll explore how marketers can partner it with creativity. A few years ago, Pinar and Viola were visiting Paris when Damien Henry, the technical program manager for the Google Arts and Culture Experiment team, asked the duo to join him for lunch. He, uh, <laughs> he was quite excited to show us something, but also quite nervous. Over the meal, he showed them psychedelic images produced by a code called Deep Dream. He told Pinar the code was written by an engineer named Alexander Morvincev at Google's Brain Lab in Zurich. And as Pinar tells it, Damien Henry went on to tell them that Alexander Morvincev, the genie behind a Deep Dream, invented a new way of image creation by using artificial neural networks. And it looks exactly like your work. Pinar says she was more than a little surprised by what she saw. The computer code had manipulated the colors and forms of everyday objects into something otherworldly, seemingly from a parallel universe. The patterns that Alexander was creating by using his quote-unquote accidental tool, I, I got like shivers in my spine because it looks exactly like my body of work as an artist. But Alexander didn't write the code at work. In fact, a bad dream about somebody trying to get into his apartment woke him in the middle of the night. He was spooked enough to check the garden door and make sure everything was fine, but he couldn't go back to sleep. Instead, he decided to work. I grabbed my laptop and spent, I don't know, like 20 minutes just uh, writing down this code for experiment I had in mind for quite a while. So once Alexander had the code down, he uploaded an image to try it out. To his surprise, really strange patterns emerged, which wasn't exactly what he thought would happen. Well, that's not something I was <laughs> expecting. I was hoping that it will like improve quality of image, maybe act like a super resolution. He wanted more people to try the code, so he posted it from Zurich while it was daytime in Google's Mountain View offices. I shared the code internally, and there was hundreds of people playing with this. 
excitement around Alexander's tool, which would eventually be called Deep Dream, grew faster than he expected. When images started to leak outside, we thought, okay, we should really proceed fast and publish this. So we published image galleries, we published the code. And the images were so strange and exciting that the code itself went viral when it was released to the public. The sharing of Deep Dream wasn't a marketing campaign for Google, though. It was released so the public could experiment with the code. In turn, Google received more information on what exactly the code was capable of, which is typical of how Google tends to work. Google has research uh, lab currently in the world of uh, machine learning. This research is happening in a very open fashion. So fast forward to Pinar and Viola at lunch. Pinar says she was surprised by the similarities between deep dream images and the work they'd been doing in their studio. But they decided to embrace the technology. Then we wanted to do something quite original. So the two of them paired up with Alexander to create a variation of the coding tool that they named Infinite Patterns. It's like deep dream, but its manipulation of images is more narrowly focused. We adjusted the tool to create self-repeating patterns because before our collaboration, it was only making images. And then we said, if you make patterns, it can have also a purpose because with patterns, patterns can cover any surface. Once you've uploaded an image, you can give the tool some directions in how you want to manipulate it. You curate the input and the making process, but the tool makes it for you. So the outcomes that you see that are very curvy, I call them delicious, juicy, pop, uh, round-edged, that, that is a result of my own consciousness, my emotional taste as an individual. Actually, uh, looked a lot like abstract art. The code works as a collaboration, a kind of middle ground between machine and creativity. Obviously, machine doesn't do it on its own. There, at least now, there is someone whose intention drives the machine. So as humans are figuring out how to dream with machines, here's the big question. If an algorithm dreams, what does it dream of? That's Avinash Kashik, who leads the strategic analytics team for Lorraine Tuhill, Google's CMO. We heard from her back in episode one. Avinash has written two books on data. He says data scientists and engineers are exploring ways to push machines to think more innovatively. They are trying to explore this, this other side where some people believe that what makes us unique and what machine learning algorithms might never be able to accomplish is creativity. These algorithms have learned from the greatest masters that we've ever had in the human race, like Rembrandt and Picasso, and you can tell them to paint like Picasso. And it is amazing how good they can replicate uh, Picasso's uh, style. Of course, they can't think like Picasso, his genius is missing from it, but they can mimic. But what exactly is this technology that data scientists are using? You can think of them as smart algorithms. A lot of people call it machine learning. And what happens is these algorithms are substantially more effective than us at being able to ingest massive amounts of data 
and be able to find the patterns um, that solve some very fundamental human problems. One example could be something like buying a new toothbrush. Avinash says he and his lab took a hard look at applying ads to people using Google's search engine. Say this person is searching around the internet, looking at a few different electric toothbrushes. Google's search engine comes up with an ad that's best suited for what they were looking for. Given the amount of data we have and given the amount of complexity in the world, an algorithm is much better at creating that ad. So we call that smart creative. So in AdWords, for example, now we use machine learning in order to figure out what is the best answer to every question that Google gets asked. The user doesn't buy a toothbrush immediately, but goes elsewhere on the web, maybe to check the news online. So this is a Monday, uh, it's late in the evening, uh, not at work, completely different mindset, thinking of different things. But despite all that distraction, Avinash and his team had already told the machine learning algorithm, a form of artificial intelligence, to create an ad that would be best suited for that buyer on this news website. And what the AI did is assembled for us 53 million variations of ads that were perfect for every single person who saw that ad. And the fact that it could understand what piece of creative would work for each person was almost magical. Tailoring ads really worked. It made the selection process much easier for the buyer. And Avinash and his team saw immediate results. We saw a lift in downloads. We saw a lift in brand recognition. We saw a lift on all the core metrics. We tracked six core metrics. It lifted all of them. Simply put, the AI fine-tuned the search. It is absolutely fair to think that all these smart algorithms are there to assist us be smarter, better, more clever, spend more time with our families, bring, find more joy from our work. Uh, but they're very much in an assist mode. Avinash says some marketers don't always buy into machine learning. My gut feel is better than your algorithm. That's a big, big one, by the way. People are like, I am smarter than it. And consumers tend to echo this kind of skepticism about targeted data. What does my data mean? Am I in control of the way that information comes to me and the information that is there about me? This is Ben Jones, creative director at Google and founder of Unskippable Labs. And those things right now are not in sync. We're figuring that out as a society, as a political system, as technology platforms. Um, and so it feels a little bit, it feels a little bit um, uh, out of control to us, right? I don't, those things don't exactly sync up and we don't exactly have aligned expectations or understandings. So I'd say that's in a state of evolution. With all of the changes machine learning brings for both the marketer and the consumer, Ben says balancing AI is going to take work. For us, ultimately, the user is the person that's the most important. Do they feel in control of the, the data? Are they, are they getting value out of it? Um, and do they understand uh, sort of how their data is being used? Are they comfortable with that? That's, that's ultimately where we land. After the break, we'll continue to talk with Ben about how machine learning can help marketers across the board. You're listening to the Think with Google podcast, brought to you by Google. At Think with Google, it's their mission to make marketers more knowledgeable by providing research, insights, and perspectives that change the way marketers do business. In this episode, 
we're talking about how marketers can incorporate machine learning technology into their daily practices and how they can partner it with creativity. For more on how machine learning can power your marketing, head to thinkwithgoogle.com slash machine learning. Again, that's thinkwithgoogle.com slash machine learning. The most important aspect of machine learning is understanding that we don't understand it yet. Here's Ben Jones again. He's a creative director at Google and founder of Unskippable Labs. Machine learning is using massive sets of data to identify patterns based on a hypothesis. In the first episode of this series, we talked with the Gina Davis Institute about its collaboration with Google and USC. We learned how they're using data from machine learning to look at gender parity in film and TV. Hard numbers provided the Institute with ways to prove the hypothesis that Hollywood simply doesn't provide as many roles for women. These same rules apply when it comes to proving a point in marketing. So you have an idea and machine learning can comb through a lot of data to say, is this true or not true and and how true is it? But the downside is that you need to understand how to ask the question and you need to understand how the pattern recognition works in order to get value out of it. Ben likes to use a metaphor for how he thinks about machine learning and how it's helping marketers today. The best mental model, the best explanation that that I've heard comes from a guy named Ben Evans. Uh, And he said, um, it's like having a, a billion interns and not having an Einstein. Like, it's not going to be Hal. It's not going to be a genius, you know, human matching intelligence. It is a sort of massive brute force that, if you train correctly, can do extraordinary things. And that's no slight on hardworking interns. If you've ever had an intern, like, you know, at the beginning of the summer especially, it's hard to know how to ask them and what they understand and what they come back with. Um, And then, you know, you train them to understand what you're looking for and how to look for it, and you get more and more value. Well, you multiply that by a billion, and you see some real value and, and some real complexity. Every day, Ben and his lab look at reams of content to analyze ad performance. My team's job is to look at a billion and a half hours a day of, of watch time on YouTube and say, what, what can we find that's valuable for creative agencies and advertisers? And each month, Ben and his team pull the top and bottom performing ads in the world and comb through them for a few specific metrics. What patterns do we see for ads in auto or in uh, beauty? Uh, or what ads drive store visits most effectively or increase consideration? This matters most importantly because time is of the essence. And the split really is, if I don't want to watch it, if I don't choose to watch it, then six seconds is about what I'll tolerate, right? So the bump red format that we use, which is six seconds long, came because that was the sort of magic point where people dropped out. And what Ben and his team at the lab are noticing is that as ads are evolving, so are consumers, in particular, how we're engaging with ads. 
We've never been so sophisticated. We've never consumed so much media so powerfully, so richly. We're the most sophisticated media consumers in the history of time, in all forms, in all screens. In the last year, uh, we're spending more time on screens than we do with any other activity besides sleeping, between work and leisure, mobile, TV, desktop, etc. So we're incredibly powerful uh, users of screen-based media. So what does that mean for marketers? They have to battle for attention through an ever-increasing amount of information and distraction. This is why being better able to connect data points is so important. Part of the reason that machine learning is a huge topic now is not because we've suddenly figured out it could be helpful, but because there is so much more processing power and so many more of our data sets are connected in a way that we never have before that we can ask questions we've never been able to ask and get answers back at a speed and with a, with a clarity we've never been able to get. But as Avinash, the leader of the strategic analytics team for the CMO at Google, said earlier, People are like, I am smarter than it. Marketers, too, might have concerns about where changes in technology leave them. The people who are worried are worried that their jobs are going to get taken away, right? A machine's going to write the copy or a machine's going to be able to figure out my brand. And, and I, th I think that those people should not be worried. It's not going to write ads. It's not going to originate campaign ideas. Those are places where humans are still much, much better than machines. But it is helping to provide sort of tuning that is very helpful and is very valuable for, for advertisers. Here's Avinash Kashik again. We are at the cusp of a kind of transformative change, the last one of which humanity saw perhaps was with the Industrial Revolution, where everything changed in so many ways. Business changed, working changed, workers changed, everything changed. And I, I subscribe to that point of view, that we are at the cusp of everything changing. But Google wants to make sure the brands it works with are ready for the future. In a project Ben Jones and his lab did with BMW in Germany last spring, machine learning was integral in developing the best ad for an electronic vehicle. For the collaboration, there was a control ad, just as BMW had created it. And then two variations refined by Google. In one version, Google played with elements of the ad's narrative arc. And in the other, it was much less story-driven and more focused on how the car's features were presented. And when we ran those in market simultaneously against controls, the narrative uh, version did 30% better than the control, and the feature-driven version did 200% better than the control. For Google, making changes based on data is less about finger-wagging and more about making sure consumers actually watch the ad. If you want to make a black and white silent movie and win an Oscar, please feel free, right? There's been one of them since 1927. Same thing for ads. You want to open your ad with a long, slow tracking shot of the Pacific Coast Highway, please feel free. I've watched your audience disappear 99 out of 100 times um, before a car even shows up. But even with all this great information provided by machine learning, the tool is still finding its way. One of the first machine learning projects Ben's team embarked on involved a team of data scientists working within 200 codes. And as they looked at, I can't remember, 1,000 or 2,000 ads, the number one characteristic most highly correlated to better performance was set an ad in a living room. 
And you know, on its face, it's absurd. Like, am I supposed to write ads that are set in living rooms if I edit ads so that more living room footage is in there? Is it going to make sense? No, we had asked the interns a bad question and we got out a bad answer. As Ben says, part of the job of a marketer today involves figuring out how to work with the billion interns. I think that I think the net of it is that it'll make crea- the the creative end of creativity better, more creative. It'll make marketing overall much more effective. It won't make all ads the same. It, I think it'll push in the other direction actually. And this is where Avinash says marketers will continue to thrive because marketers have always embraced the challenge of reaching their audience. There's nothing more fun than being able to figure out how to tell a story and change their minds. It's like an amazing challenge, right? Human beings don't like changing their minds. And and I've come to realize it can't just be data. Then it becomes an even tougher challenge. Ultimately, machine learning is here to be a marketer's assistant. It can make a, a good ad better. It can't make a bad ad good, right? It, it's not rescue, it's, it's tuning. The Think with Google podcast is brought to you by Google and Gimlet Creative. This episode was produced by Katie Shepard, Carrie Ann Thomas, and Emily Shaw. Gabby Bulgarelli is our fact checker. We're edited by Andrea Bruce. Bumi Hadaka mixed this episode. Katherine Anderson is our technical director. Our theme is by Marcus Thorne Begala. Additional music from Marmoset, Billy Libby, and So Wiley. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And if you like what you've heard, share with your friends and colleagues. We'll see you next week.